So I want to get right into this because there's a lot, believe it or not, in, in this letter that Jude was writing to the church in general back in the first century. Last week, I think we pretty well established that the author of this letter is Jude, none other than one of Jesus' half-brothers. We know that James also was a half-brother of Jesus. And don't confuse him with James and John. James and John were brothers from the son, they were sons of Zebedee, but James, Jesus' half-brother, was the leader in the church, and you can see that in, the, in Acts chapter 12 and 15, you'll see James the Lord's brother, being pretty much the, uh, the leader, if you will, in the church at Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. And it's interesting that Jude and James didn't come to faith until after the resurrection. We know that John chapter 7 records for us that while Jesus was ministering, his own brothers, his own family, they didn't believe in him. And it wasn't until after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the ascension, that his brothers finally realized the light bulb goes off and they realize this is who this is the Messiah this is who Jesus claimed he, he was and, and and no doubt they searched their their own history with him and they started putting pieces together and they're like you know what this is the real thing this is really what the prophets have been foretelling for thousands of years this is this is him this is him. So we, we, we well established that fact, and so we didn't, don't need to go over that. But let me read, and then we're going to look at verses 3, and hopefully down through 11 we'll see how far we get. But this is really a, an important section, especially the verses 3 and 4. Um, so let's just take a look at the, the, the letter, uh, just up to verse 11. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Christ Jesus... Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And notice Jude knows his audience, who he's speaking to. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend. Here's our, our verse for the day, really. Contending earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And why? For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who would not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he, God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. There's a spooky verse for you. As Sodom and Gomorrah, notice he relates it, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after, this is a wonderful word, phrase, strange flesh. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? All of a sudden the key changes to minor. <laughs> Actually, it was a minor key when we first started. But anyway... And are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Notice, eternal fire. 
Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them! For they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And so I don't know if we're going to get all the way to verse 11 today. My hope is that we can, but uh, let's just see what happens here. But notice in verse 3, that's really where we need to pick up. We kind of started this last week, but he says, Beloved, I was very diligent to write you concerning our common uh, salvation. Jude really wanted to write to them about the sweetness of of the gospel, of what Jesus did. He wanted to kind of fill in those things and, and, and encourage some of the things that they have already known. But notice, he found it necessary, notice it was necessary to write to you, exhorting them to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the the saints. Now this word contend, we have to look at a few words here because in our English, um, we have, uh, sometimes we can understand pretty clearly what it means, but there are certain words that have a greater depth in the original Greek in which this was written. So the word contend there literally means to struggle, to struggle for. It's It's a Greek word. Uh, and I'm not going to try and pr- pronounce it. Uh, actually, I'll give it a shot. Epagonizomai. If my mother-in-law were here, uh, Kathy's mother, as you know, she's completely 100%, she's 110% Greek. And I remember when we, oh, over on Christmas break, I went to her with some of these Greek words, and I says, how do you pronounce this? And she would rattle it off, and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Can I just record you saying that? And then you can, I'll just play the tape for everybody. But yeah, so she knows how to pronounce these things, and she does it in such a, a nice Mediterranean way. Anyway, I, I transgress. So, or transgress? Maybe. I, I, whatever. Whatever the word is, I don't know what it is. I digress, that's what it is. But this word actually comes from two Greek words, the root words, and they, it's no surprise to us. They literally mean to compete for a prize, to contend with an adversary. And it's where we get our word agony, agonizomai, that's, that's where we get the word from. It's contending, struggling with difficulties and dangers, endeavoring with strength to strive for something. It's like what you see in the Olympic Games. When, uh, when Michael Phelps gets in the pool and all those other guys are in the pool and he's way ahead of them, they're trying to contend with him, but they're going to lose. <laughs> so that's what contending means. But just like Jude is encouraging the believers of his day to contend for the faith, we need to as well. And we live in very wicked times. And just as, as Jude was writing to them, I believe even more so we need to be contending for the faith. Contending for the faith. Striving, struggling if necessary. You know, not, not just laying down our arms in a sense. I mean, God doesn't win a battle with guns and, and swords. Today the battle is spiritual. But a lot of times we can be asleep and we lay down our armaments, our spiritual armaments. We lay down the word of God. We no longer read it. We no longer talk about it. And therefore, we lay down our armaments, and we're going to lose the battle if we do. And so we need to contend earnestly for the faith. And the world will call you a hater. 
If you contend for the faith, but if you love, you will tell the truth in love. Isn't the truth the greatest thing you can tell somebody? And isn't it true also that sometimes the truth is the hardest thing to share because sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes I need to hear the truth and it hurts me, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Isn't that what it says in Proverbs? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I need a friend to tell me the truth. I don't need a friend to lie to me. They prove then that they are not really a friend, but a real friend will tell me the truth even if it hurts me for a season. And that's what we need to be about. It's been said that the first casualty in any war is truth. The first casualty in any war is truth. And they hated Jesus for the truth. And guess what, folks? They're going to hate you for it too. But does that mean that we hate them in return? Does it mean that we get angry with people? I sometimes get angry. I'll be honest with you. But we have to respond in love. We have to respond in love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love, it's agape. It's that self-sacrificing love that we need to grow in. Every single one of us, we need to grow in this love of God. But the world, they, it hated Jesus. Jesus even said in John 15, beginning in verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they've kept my word, they will keep yours also. So let me ask you this morning, are you willing to stand up and contend for the faith? Are you willing to stand up and contend for the faith? Are you willing to be a fool for Christ's sake, as Paul would exhort those in Corinthians? Would you, are you willing to be a fool for Christ? Are you willing to look like, like you don't have it all together? Are you willing to be looked at as, as some kind of fool because you believe in this thing called Jesus? You believe in this one. You believe in this Bible. Are you serious? Are you you guys believe in that antiquated book? It's been handed down from centuries, you know, centuries upon centuries. It's been handed down by oral tradition, so filled with so many errors. Is that the truth? No, quite the opposite, actually. Most of it's by eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. Okay, so I don't want to digress there, transgress there. I don't want to transgress there, and I also don't want to digress there. But are you willing to stand on what the Bible says all by itself? Even if you don't have any other quotes from other godly men or women or even any other great Christian authors or great Christian worship leaders, are you willing to stand alone on the word of God in your hand toward anything that comes your way? Because that's what you need to do. You need to be able to stand on the word of God alone with nothing else. And don't be afraid to stand alone on the word of God and nothing else. Nothing else. You don't need it. We add it, and it's good, because sometimes there's nothing wrong with filling in the blanks for people. You know, when talking about evolution, it's good to be able to talk about those things, if you can. Many of us aren't scientists, and we really can't speak that technically to certain things, and that's okay. God doesn't, you know, you, you learn what you can, and you share what you know. But by all means, share. Don't think to yourself, well, because I don't know enough, I can't share. No, if you wait for that day, you'll never contend for the faith. You'll never contend for the faith if you wait. Share what you do know. And the greatest example of what God has done is your life changed. Do you understand that? Because you, like, Paul, like Peter would say, you are a living epistle. You are a living letter. 
You are alive and you are a, 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 a physical person who has been changed by the grace of God. You know people who look at you now, who used to know you in the past, and are like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Praise the Lord for that. My family doesn't know the, the, this, this Rob now. I think sometimes they might want to see the old Rob. Maybe not, but you're a new creature in Christ. All things, old things have become forget, forgotten about. Behold, all things are new. But what has happened to the Christian church that we are no longer willing to speak up and call what is good, good, and what is evil, evil? Are you afraid of being called a hater or a fundamentalist? Are you afraid of being called narrow and stringent? Let them call you whatever they want because they're going to call you those names anyway. They're going to call you those things anyway. You might as well be biblical and love them to their shame. right? You love them. You don't respond back in like manner. You love them. You love them the best you can. Sometimes it's best just to turn your back and walk away if you find anger rising up in you. But you know what? Love people. You know, Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And he was prophesying 700 years before Christ was born in the flesh. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Boy, do we live in those days. Because everything now is calling what is good evil, and what is evil is good. Is that, tr- is that not the truth? I think we can all attest to that. All you have to do is read the headlines of the news. And unfortunately, the United Methodist Church this month month has partially fulfilled this prophecy. I don't know if you heard about this, but the church has split over the topic of gay ministers and same-sex marriages. They have embraced the LGBTQ community, and not not only are they no longer contending for the faith, but they have embraced darkness. They are allowing gay ministers in the pulpit and also performing same-sex marriages. Shame on them. Shame on them. Why would you even call yourself a church and embrace those things? You'd better close your doors. Do something else. Set up a, make some kind of retail clothing store. Do something else, anything, but get out of it. And therefore, that church has split. Part of it wants to give in and, and, and cater to that, and, and others want to stay more traditional. And praise the Lord for those who are holding to their guns. The split had to occur. But folks, do you see what is happening? So few are contending for the faith. So much compromise. It's time we stand up. It's time we take this seriously. You know as well as I do, everything is There's a lot of crumbling around us. Now, there's no need to be discouraged in the sense of being despondent. I'm discouraged, but it it brings me to my knees, and it brings me into prayer, and it ought to you as well. Don't be afraid. What have you got to be afraid of? They ought to be afraid of you because of the truth that is in you. And actually, they are afraid of you. The truth has set you free, and some people don't want to be free. Sometimes it takes them to hit rock bottom before they finally look up and say, you know what, I've lost everything. I've lost my health. I've lost my job. I've lost my marriage. My kids have abandoned me. Nobody wants me. My, I, I'm just completely on the rocks. And usually and only then will somebody look up and say, you know what, I'm doing this all wrong. <laughs> but sometimes it takes those hard things. 
Now, don't get me wrong, any church should allow anyone who is gay to come into the church if they desire to be born again and to change. No church should turn anyone away who's seeking the truth, no matter what they are, no matter who they are. They should be welcomed in the church, and we ought to embrace them. Not embrace them in their sin, but embrace them as they are changing and encouraging them to change, as we all are as well. Amen? But to put a, 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 a gay minister in the pulpit is like putting a blind man in the cockpit of a 747 filled with people and no instruments, no autopilot to flip a button. That's what it's like, the blind leading the blind. And what did Jesus say? Both will fall into the ditch. And so, do we need to contend for the faith? Yes, we do. And this is hard. I understand that. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Jesus gave a letter to John uh, to the, the church at Laodicea. And this is called the lukewarm church. And, the angel of the, uh, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And here is his message to them. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And here's the remedy. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see and as many as I love I rebuke and chasten remember God chastens those whom he loves and chastening is with instruction it's not just to pound on you because you've done something wrong no chastening has there's a there's a purpose behind it and the purpose is instruction It may be difficult, it may not be pleasant, but the idea is to instruct you so that you don't do it again. And we need that instruction, don't we? I need to be chastened. Otherwise, I'm going to be living a life that is completely abandoned to the flesh. When your kids are young, you tell them, honey, don't touch that glowing circle on top of the stove. You tell them that, and they invariably will touch it. But they learn. Unfortunately, they learn the hard way. And see, we need to learn. We need to listen to the Lord. We need to listen and obey. Listen and obey God's word. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Turn the direction of your life. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Why does he even have to knock? Aren't you welcome, Lord? You're welcome in this place. May it always be true that Jesus could walk in any time here and feel very comfortable with what is being shared and all of our love toward him and toward each other. May that be the case for us. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to be getting into Revelation in a couple weeks. And we'll be getting into this letter. But make your calling and your election sure. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. In Second Peter chapter 1, Peter exhorts us. He says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. I shared this last week. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
And you can read that in context from chapter or verses 5 down through 11. But if you, if you lack boldness, there's no need to be discouraged. It is, uh, and, and because if we do lack the boldness, if we, are, if we are not filled with the Spirit of God, chances are we won't contend for the faith. That's why the filling of the Spirit of God is so necessary. And unfortunately, we've seen so many aberrations in the church that everyone is afraid of it. And for good reason. There have been uh, churches that have, that have showed people supposedly filled by, with the Spirit, and they're running around clucking like chickens, slithering on the floor like a snake, barking like dogs, flapping their, their arms like wings, like they got wings, acting like the lower creatures that God has created. But why does God say, you're my poema, you're my masterpiece? Would he call, do you see any, do you see any, any part in the book of Acts, anywhere, anywhere in the Bible where that's really promoted by any of the disciples? There's nothing there's nothing. But filled with the Spirit of God is something beautiful. And when it comes, when He comes upon the person and fills that person, there is true peace, there's unity, there's love, there's compassion, there's all those fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians. All those things are happening. And you like to be around that person. You're like, man, they are just the most gracious person. See, some people have this funny uh, idea that being filled with the Spirit means, you, you're, means you're the type of person that's really stringent and full of rules. And it looks like you've been sucking on lemons all day. And your mouth is puckered up. Lousy sinner. You know, have you seen people like that? I have. Are they fun to be around? No. I'd rather hang out with a murderer. And yet God calls us to a greater, greater place. Are you willing to take that challenge? Are you willing to say, Lord, make it a prayer every day of your life and let God do what he's going to do. Don't even worry about it. Just be open. Say, Lord, I need you. I need everything you have for me. Please fill me today. Fill me to overflowing. May I learn how to be gracious. May I learn how to love. Lord, teach me. Cleanse me. Heal me, Father. Change my heart and my mind. But we need to contend for the faith. I recently received a, an email from Jay Seculo from the American Center for Law and Justice, or known as the ACLJ. And let me just read to you what it says. And, and again, these are things that you probably read yourself. You might even have got the same email. It says, For years, our brave men and women in the military have been able to choose to select dog tags from a faith-based company that inscribes Bible verses on them. Scriptures like Joshua 1, Be strong and courageous. And Psalm 27, verse 3, Though my enemies attack me, I will not fear. And that they have ministered to many in combat. Now, an extreme anti-Christian group has demanded... They've demanded the Bible verses be banned from the dog tads, even calling them poison. And even worse, the military caved. They caved in. I don't know about you, but that disgusts me. Does it disgust you? Now, does that mean we go grab our guns and, 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 and try and make a point, literally? No, we don't do that kind of nonsense. You go to your knees and you pray. <laughs> we go to our knees and we pray. And we be vocal. We must be vocal about our faith. It's not meant to be hide. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Don't hide your light under a bed. For if you do, you're going to set the whole thing on fire. Number one, that's, a, that's, a, that's free advice. Don't put a lamp under a bed, under a bushel. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kindling. You get it. 
It's going to be a campfire. Get out the s'mores. Don't put your light under a bushel. Don't put your light under the bed. But let your light so shine that, they, that people will see your good works and they will glorify you. No, they'll glorify their Father which is in heaven. And see, that's what we are to be about. And don't be discouraged if you're not in that place. Just simply start praying again. Praying in earnest. And pray, God, fill me. I can't live another day. I don't want to live another day unless you fill me every single day. According to your will, not mine, you fill me, Lord. I want it, I want it, I want you. I want your likeness in my life. And everything I say, everything I do, let it be true of us. And contending for the faith is certainly, first, contending for the veracity and the inspiration and the authority of the Scripture. Do you understand? You have to contend for it. People in past ages, hundreds of years ago, gave their lives for what you hold in your hand today. They've given their lives. This book has had such an incredible impact on the culture of the entire world. It is God's love letter to you. It is God's instructions for us in godliness and, and knowing how to receive him. And it's also... Contending for the faith is standing up and holding fast to the teachings of Christ and the gospel and the word of God in totality. Every single bit of it. Every single bit. It's standing up for what is right and not caving in to those ideologies, those doctrines, those culturally accepted norms that are being rammed down our throats through the media and liberal universities and theologians and politicians. We need to contend for the faith. In Philippians, Paul said, Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. One mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? This one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together. Does that sound like contend? That's really what it is. It's, 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 it's struggling for it. It's at whatever cost it takes. We, we don't give in. We, we don't cave why is everybody caving? I, I, I mean, I see so many organizations caving, and I know why it is. It's money. Why, do, why does, uh, you know, the, the worst thing that, <laughs> it's just amazing to me how a Christian company, they, they, they stand on the word of God, and, and some of them are really standing true. I know there's one baker, uh, that there was a baker who was in, uh, next to some university, I forget where it was now, uh, but he was a Christian man, and he had this really successful bakery. And he refused to uh, uh, service someone who was of a same-sex marriage, and they wanted to order a wedding cake for he and uh, his partner. And he refused. And so the gay couple sued the, um, the baker, and the baker won. And the baker won, because guess what? They have a choice, right? They can go down the street. Somebody else will do it with, for no problem. Save them a lot of time and money just to exercise the freedom to go somewhere down the street, and someone will make them a cake. But it's not good enough, is it? they got to destroy that man. But thank God he contended and he stood up for himself, stood up for the Lord, stood up for the truth, and says, I will not. You can take my business. You know what? He's probably thriving more now than he's ever been because now that the, the news has gotten out, how many Christians are like ordering, having cakes ordered overnight, you know, for, for the faith of this guy? So contend for the faith. Don't cave in like the Hallmark Channel did. Remember the, um, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
Beginning in verse 19, Paul said this to the Corinthians. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, and uh, and, and, and that I might win the weak, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. And here it is. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize? So the exhortation is run in such a way that you may obtain it. The word run in in that verse 24 is a a word that means to... um, Uh, to exert oneself and to strive hard to spend one's entire strength for performing or attaining something. And Paul goes on and he says, and everyone who competes for the prize, there's our word that we read and the same word that we have in our text this morning for contend. Paul's saying, now, everyone who competes, it's the same exact word, competes for the prize as temperate. Meaning you're, you're not giving into, you're, you're exercising self-restraint, you're self-controlled. And boy, do we need that. As we look around today, there's very little self-control. Only in the church do you see it. But so many folks are so out of control. And Paul, in writing his letter to Timothy, he said this, he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things. And he's speaking of the greed and error that are mentioned prior in that chapter. But he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And here it is, fight the good fight of faith. The word fight is the same word contend. Same thing we're talking about. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then Paul, in his letter, his final letter, actually, his his very last letter to Timothy, he said this. He says, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, he says to Timothy, Preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come, and we are in that time, by the way. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They like sermonettes. They like small little fragments. 10, 15 minutes in the word and the rest is just filled with current events and things that make you feel good about yourself so that I leave feeling good about myself. If our church becomes a place where we come to feel good about ourselves, we're really missing it. I feel good because I'm in Christ alone. That's, 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 where I, that's why I, if there's any good that I feel, it's only because I'm in him. Amen? <laughs> it's not because I'm, I'm being encouraged and saying, you know, you're really not that bad. You know, you're just misunderstood. You know, when you robbed that bank yesterday, you, just, you couldn't help it. You know, after all, the devil made you do it. It wasn't you. The devil made you do it. You poor thing. Now, don't do it again, Okay? Don't do it again. We're going to let you go this time, and we'll give you a check for $100 to help you out in your, you know, but, but don't rob the banks again. He says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And that's what we're hearing today in a lot of churches, fables, stories. I remember one time, we were recently at a, uh, at a conference for um, a Bible quizzing thing. 
And one of the men got up in front of all these children, a bunch of young, impressionable, formidable minds, and he says to them, I really don't think that Jonah was swallowed by the whale. He said, I think that's just a story. That's just a children's story. I mean, there's some people who believe in that kind of thing, but he says, but I don't believe it. He said, a lot of the, a lot of the um, uh, parables are just stories. They're not real. I mean, there's some that were, were Jesus, but, but Jonah, Jonah was one man that Jesus said was a real man. And yet this man undermined the faith of all these young people. He'd much rather tell them the story of Jonah. Let me tell you about a man who went in a little boat and he went across the Mediterranean. The wind started to rock and roll. Next thing you know, they threw him out. You know, and, and you know, tell the story like it's just a, a story. That's what we're up against. That's what's happening. And may God help us that we always stay true to the word and and pray for me too that I wouldn't be seduced by any doctrine of demons and there are plenty of them out there the only thing the only recourse for not being deceived is is being in the word of God that's the only remedy there's no Cliff's Notes version of it you just have to get into it it's a relationship right it's a relationship God wants to have the relationship with you whatever you have he wants it to be better do you want it to be better I believe you do, because if you're here, you want that. You want that to be better. And really pray about that. Say, Lord, I want, I want that. I want that, Lord. Please help me. But later on in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the, Paul's very last letter, I love what he said. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is right before Nero, Caesar Nero, would cut the head off Paul. He would execute him. And Paul, I believe, knew his time was short because he said it. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought. And there's our word again, contend. I have fought. Notice he exhorted Timothy, fight the good fight. And now Paul, at the end of his time, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have contended for the faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me. Wow. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also all to all those who love his appearing. Isn't that awesome? You know, sometimes I forget. I think we, we can forget. Maybe not you, and maybe not anybody in this room. But it's worth take, talking about because this message is not just for us here. This is going to go out over our radio at some point, or the potential for hundreds of thousands, even a couple million people are going to be able to hear. We need to contend for the faith. And it's not just defending the faith and being able to speak concerning it, but it's also putting it into practice. Why would anybody want to hear what we have to say if we are not demonstrating it ourselves? You know, it's like the parent who says to their teenage son or daughter, um, stop smoking, stop smoking, Sally. And then Sally will look up, but Mommy, you smoke, and Daddy smokes, so I'm going to continue smoking. But when the parent says, you know what, this is my last pack today, and they crumple it up and they throw it in the trash, 
and they go through the withdrawal symptoms and strangle everybody in the house. They, uh, <laughs> now the children are looking and say, wow, they mean business. I can do this too. It's expensive. It's killing me. I'm going to do it as well. Usually no one will follow unless they see the example. And who is our greatest example? Who is the prototype? Jesus Christ, the righteous, the Son of God, the Son of the living God, God the Father, the Almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. He's the prototype. Let's live that life that Christ died to secure for us. So much so that we can, you know, we can look at, if you remember in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus talking to his disciples in that upper room, just hours before he would be wrongfully accused and taken. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Literally lifts up. That's what it means, not take away. It's like lifting up. Any vine that, that is in me that does not bear fruit, it's lifted up. That's literally what it means. It's lifted out of the mud, propped up with a rock so that the sun can hit it. That's who you are and, and we are if we are not uh, abiding in him. Or every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he wants to encourage that. And notice, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So what? What's the purpose of that? So that it may bear much fruit. If you're a, if you're a farmer, you know that. You prune the branches so that more life can come when it is bearing fruit. And he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Have you ever tried to prove that wrong? <laughs> I have tried to prove it wrong. Lord, I can do something without you. I can breathe without you. Watch this. It's not true. Even our very next breath is a gift of God. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, and why? That you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I love that. Bearing much fruit. See, that's the, the desire of the heart and the heart of the Lord for you and for me, that we would bear much fruit. Not just fruit, but much fruit. More and more fruit. That's what he wants. Does everybody, everybody smile. I know this is kind of heavy. Just smile really big. Thank you, Jane. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Thank you, Paulo. Thank you, Kathy, my wife. Yeah, everyone smile. It's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Again, that's just, he's our prototype, isn't he? He's our example. Seeing then that we have this great high priest who has passed into the heavens, the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. So how important is it? And even as we are contending for the faith down here, the Son of God is not just sitting back being fanned with an olive branch or a, or a palm, palm branch. No, he's interceding. That's what he said. 
He's praying for you and I that we would contend, that we would give, that would be strong. Isn't that what he said with, for Peter? Peter, I've prayed for you. Even though the devil is going to sift you, I've prayed you, prayed for you. And when you've recovered, when you're converted, he uh, minister to your brethren, right? Notice that we are not alone and without compassion and grace from God. He's, he's very compassionate. But notice in our text this morning in verse 3, he says, Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. You know, and then at the end there, contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered. It was once delivered once. The faith of Jesus Christ was delivered, notice, once for all. The truth of who Jesus is, of what he did, of all that he taught, is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. We shouldn't add anything to it, and we certainly shouldn't subtract anything from it. Teach it. Often, over and over again, it never, ever is futile or a waste of time to read the scripture. The Bible says that his word will not return void, but it will accomplish everything that he has set forth for it to accomplish. It will accomplish. And sometimes, and you know this to be true, sometimes you can read the same passage for years. And this happens to me to this day. I'll be reading, I've read this passage over and over again, and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. And I'm like, oh my. Don't you just love that? That's the way it works. It's living. It's not like a... John Grisham novel that you read once and toss it. No, there's so many facets to this word of God. It's like a multifaceted diamond. And even that's pale in comparison to what it really is. Multifaceted, so many angles, so many things. And whatever you're going through in your life, you can read a different passage and it's going to hit you a different way. It's going to minister to you a different way. And you're going to be like, I can't believe this. But that's how wonderful the word of God is. Notice in verse 4, he says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, and we're going to finish up in this verse and we'll take communion. We're not going to get to verse 11. For certain men have crept in, notice, unnoticed. They've crept in. Certain men, not all men, but certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the Trinity in that too? Or do you see two-thirds of the Trinity anyway? Deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Underline those two. They're two separate things. That's two-thirds of the Trinity right there. But notice what verse 4 is. Verse 4 is the reason, and perhaps the main reason, that he's exhorting them to contend for the faith. It's like a cause and effect, verses 3 and 4. Because here's the problem. Verse 4 is the problem. And it's this. Ungodly men have crept in unnoticed and turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the, the, um, deny the only uh, Lord God. And our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the problem. And here's the desired effect. Here is the, um, the thing that's supposed to happen. To contend for the faith. The exhortation is to contend for the faith. And see, men have crept in. Uh, the men that did, they were imposters. They were libertines. They were apostates. A libertine is really nothing more than a person who freely indulges in sensual pleasures without regard to moral principles. That's what a libertine is. And an apostate is a person who renounces a religious or political belief or principle. And it was happening back at the time of Jude, and believe me, it's happening a lot now. 
Because there's a lot of people who like to hear people like Joel Osteen. There are a lot of people who like to hear Benny Hinn. And they're making money, man, let me tell you. These guys all have multiple jets. People are eating it up. They love to be lied to. But see, grace should never be interpreted as meaning license to continue in immorality. Anyone who does so does not really understand grace. And instead of being humbled and submitting to God's grace, they see it as a means to continue in their sin because after all, God's going to forgive. Yeah, God can forgive. He can forgive the, same, the person who has committed the same sin over and over again. If you confess it, he can, he'll forgive you. But don't ever use that as a license like these men who've crept in unnoticed. They, they're, they're sensual and, and their desire is to destroy. But Jude tells us that long ago, the prophets have foretold, these ungodly men, they are going to be condemned. If they don't turn from their ways, they will be condemned. And they will be sent to hell. They will not be in heaven. It's up to God who those people are and who are not. But the Bible also says you'll know them by their fruits. In Romans chapter 6, it says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because that's what the message is for some of these guys. Let's really exercise this idea of grace. And let's just continue in our, let's just be free. Let's just love each other in whatever way, whatever way that manifests itself. It's okay. Just love each other. After all, God's a God of love. And they justify their immorality, their sensual pleasures, and they even use scripture to do it. These men will stand before God one day. And if they are not born again, it's going to be a quick slope. Beloved, actually he says um, verse 3, me, um, but these, these men who creep, who creep in unnoticed, says long ago were marked for this condemnation. This is not speaking of someone who is a believer and is struggling with an area of sin, so don't feel condemned here, but rather someone who is an unbeliever who wants to undermine and destroy the faith of Christians. They were prophesied long ago, and let me just read a couple scriptures to you, and I'll give you the, the references for the others. You can look them up yourself. Two of them in the Old Testament and two of them in the New Testament. First one is in Isaiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 19. Isaiah says, And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards and whis- that w- who whisper and mutter. And God's reply to that is, Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? And yet there are Roman Catholics today, and again, I'm not here to bash a Catholic, but there's, the, the doctrine needs to be corrected. There are Catholics here uh, that, that, that do this, and other denominations that pray to dead saints. They pray to saints, and they pray to Mary, who is in heaven. They pray to her as if they can twist God's arm. They venerate the patron saints. And why won't they seek the living God? God is denied when we trust in and pray to the dead and lesser things. And we can pray to Jesus because guess what? He was crucified, he died, but he ever lives. (laughs) So we can pray to him and it's good. Amen? So that's a good thing. But notice also in Jeremiah chapter 5, 
Uh, let's see here. Let me just give you that verse. Jeremiah chapter 5, 11 through 14. And also 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Let me just read that one for you. It says, Peter's speaking, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive, or in the King James, damnable heresies. I love that word. It just sounds so good, even though it's so bad. Destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. What are they doing there to begin with? Why are they standing behind a microphone in a pulpit if they don't believe in Jesus Christ and they claim to be a minister of God? It's kind of like a contradiction in terms, isn't it? (laughs) It is. And many will follow their destructive or pernicious ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. In other words, the hammer's coming the hammer's coming. Also check out 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. And I'll just read one part of this. And it says, And with the unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And that's really what it comes down to, is not receiving the love of the truth. Do you love the truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. It's a one path. It's a narrow road, and it leads to Christ. And and everyone is welcome on that path. No one will be turned away if their heart is right and they want to get on that path. No one will be turned away. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if the, the most wicked sins that you've ever committed. It doesn't matter. If you confess them, you are in Christ. If you confess them and put them under the blood, But bad doctrine produces bad character and wicked actions. That's why it's so important for us to be in the Word. Because if our doctrine is wrong, if we don't, look, if we don't rightly divide the Word of truth, the, the Bible, if we don't rightly divide it, you can't just take one thing and isolate it. You've got to know the whole thing. That's why it's so important to get through the Bible. That's why the reading plans are so necessary. It gets you rapidly through the Bible because as you do it, you're going to see the whole thing in context. And all of a sudden, when you read things, it's going to jog your memory about something you read. And you put all these things together, and then you have the mind of God for that particular thing. But don't isolate one thing. You might get in trouble. And see, that's what the cults do. They isolate one thing. That's like that prosperity doctrine. They've isolated that one thing in John's epistle. And they've built a whole foundation of a multi-billion dollar thing around that one verse. And it was never meant to be that way. So how important is it to compare scripture with scripture? It's absolutely necessary. So get through the Bible as quickly as you can. And then spend some time alone and read it. Amen. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's really why we take communion together. It's not just something we stick on the calendar and some kind of rite that we just kind of mindlessly go through. I hope it never becomes like that for us. But just to, uh, Jesus said, do this often is in remembrance of me. And just to be reminded of the price that was paid. It wasn't the blood of a man. It was the blood of Almighty God. And, 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 Lord, and, and he shed his, his blood for us. His body was broken. That's why you look at the, the matzah and you see the, uh, 
the, the marks on it, and you see the holes in it. I don't think that they meant it to be that way, but it's kind of indicative, really, of the stripes that he took as, he, as they took that flagellum across him, and as they pierced him with the sword and with the nails that held him there, suspended between God and or earth and heaven. You can see the holes and the lacerations, even in the bread. And then the blood flowed. Not just the blood of a man, but the blood of Almighty God. The only atonement that could be made for man. The blood of Jesus prophesied hundreds of years before. A couple thousand, actually. Going all the way back to Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman. So, Father, we take this bread and this cup in remembrance of you knowing what it signifies to us, Lord. And as we take it into our mouths and and into our stomachs, God, we pray that your word, the very life of Christ, would just take place in the innermost part of our being, Lord. And we pray that you would set your anchor deep within our soul, Lord, that there'd be nothing that would be able to move the ship any longer. There'd be nothing else that could move us from that place of dependency and trust in you. In your word, Father. So have your way with us, Lord. Thank you for this. And we take this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a blessing, huh? I know that was kind of a... You know, Jude's letter to me is kind of... um, It's not one of those really feel-good sort of things. I don't think it was meant to be. And it's interesting that his real desire was to... First was to talk to them concerning the common faith, but found it necessary to encourage them to contend for the faith. And he gives the reasons. And verse 4 is a, is a good reason. Next week we're going to finish this letter. I know we spent a lot of time on those first four verses, but the theme is so important for us today, especially. And so um, be encouraged this week. Abide in Jesus and let him abide in you. And don't be discouraged. Um, Let's stand together and let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll end our time together. Heavenly Father, we, you know that, Lord, um, these things are, are, um, can weigh on us, Lord. A lot of things this morning, perhaps, that kind of hit home, and, and certainly were challenging to me as well. But, Lord, I pray that you would lift us, Lord, that you'd lift our heads, Lord, there's no greater joy than serving you. There's no greater God than you, Lord Jesus. You are the creator. You're the sustainer. You're the healer. You're the great physician. You are the door. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are all of that and much, much more, Lord. And so we surrender our hearts and lives to you, Lord. Pray that you'd be with us, Lord, the rest of this day and all throughout this week until we meet again on Thursday. Lord, please anoint our teens. Anoint these young people, Father. And pour your spirit out upon them and upon us. And we pray for your continued provision in all things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.